0: You're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Activia. Activia offers a range of yogurts that help support a healthy gut. Your gut is where it all begins. This is an Irish independent podcast. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Pride sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Hello and welcome to Real Health With Me, Carl Henry in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, I'm very excited to have my next guest in studio. Niall Breslin has become synonymous with mindfulness and getting people to think about their mental health. His hugely successful podcast, Where Is My Mind?, is in its third year. And he's going to be at the 3 Olympia Theatre with a live version of the podcast at the end of April. But now, he's here to chat all things meditation and mindfulness. Niall, welcome to the show. Hello, Carl. Five years later, I finally got you in. I'm delighted. It's been a while. How are you getting on? Life is good, and you?
1: And grand, yeah, yeah, all good.
0: Tell us about your plans. We were chatting before we came on air. A PhD in the
1: making. I just put a proposal in, so fingers crossed now. Like, the next four or five years of my life are going to be <laughs> Busy. back in academia. <laughs> I, I, I can't get enough. I, like, I used to hate going to school and college because I kind of felt like it was forced. But when you're actually, when you come to education, it's mm-hmm. a different dynamic. So, uh, yeah, I'm really, I don't, I have no idea whether I'm capable of it or not, but like, it's something I've been kind of flirting with for about five years. So I finally went, right, I'm going to go for it.
0: And it's in an area that you love, which is a key thing for people listening in, you know, not necessarily about mindfulness or about meditation, but about life in general, that it's a graph for something that sticks, something that floats your boat.
1: Yeah, we're looking at psychosocial interventions. So like the big thing for me is like. We can talk about mental health all we want, but what are the systems doing? What are the systems of support and the frameworks of support doing? How do they work? How do they not work? And that is ultimately what I'm going to be focused on for the next five years. How can we create better, more effective systems to support people with their emotional well being, things like early intervention, trauma-informed care, stuff like that. So that's kind of where I'm bringing it, I hope.
0: Amazing. The next level. We're going to go back a little bit to the pandemic, the wake up and wind down episodes, incredibly popular.
1: Yeah, I, that was like, that started as me just doing, like at the start of the pandemic, and obviously no one needs to hear us talking about it anymore, but we have to process what happened. Yep. Like, you don't need to lament it, but it was, it was chaos. It was absolute chaos. And at the very start, the big thing I realized a lot of people were saying to me online and, you know, if you were allowed to meet them, was sleep. Sleep became mm-hmm. this big thing. Because we had so much excess energy, we, we really didn't know what to do with it. Because we all think energy is just physical, but it's mental as well. You, like, you, you know, working, focusing, all this stuff really requires physical energy and it can tire you out. And people's sleep patterns were all over the place. So I was like, maybe I should do something that can help people. I always knew my voice about people asleep one day, <laughs> but literally what I did was started on Instagram and then it was Spotify. We're like, listen, could we put this into a podcast form? and nearly a thousand podcasts later i did i think about 11 or 1200 podcasts in during the pandemic twice a day every single day 365 days a year and it was an absolute it was to be honest with you it was a huge focus for me as well i i don't know what i would have done with not having something to focus on throughout that whole kind of period of time and did it show you the hunger that was out there for learning about mindfulness meditation that the, the appetite's there from, for it. It is, but I think there's this big thing we refer to as Mac mindfulness or mindfulness light, or, you know, where we kind of dilute the essence of what mindfulness actually is. And you can see that a lot. There's, you know, it's great that we're talking about it, but there's a huge level of depth and complexity to what mindfulness is. And it's perceived as a psychological intervention. So yes, apps are great. You know, they do teach people how to focus on, you know, concentration meditation and Zen meditation and stuff. But it what I'm very interested in is giving people insight into how they think, what are their thoughts doing, when are their thoughts particularly, you know, per- pervasive or prevailing. And it's with knowledge like that that you start to learn a hell of a lot more about yourself. So mindfulness for me is about self-awareness. It's not about relaxation. And I think ultimately the modern world has become so stressful for people that it seems good to market it as something that's a stress or a relaxing thing. But I remember like 10 years ago, the only drinks you could buy in the market were drinks that gave you the energy to keep up with the world. And now we're selling drinks (laughs) to calm you down (laughs) because we see that people are overwhelmed and stressed. But that's not how stress works. And overwhelm, you know, you you need to do a little bit more work with it. So that's what I try to do with mindfulness is to give people a little insight and use things like principles of practice, use other forms. Some people, for example, who have had anxiety issues or anxiety disorders, the last thing you're going to tell them to do is focus on their breath. You know, that's the biggest manifestation of their anxiety sometimes, especially with panic disorder. So you have to be really wary. And so what I teach is mindfulness based stress reduction. So it's the eight week evidence based programs. And I try to incorporate that into the wake up windows rather than just me being a talking head in the morning and in the evening.
0: So self-awareness is crucial for people. So it's not a, you know, if people are listening in who do meditation or who potentially want to try it, it's about going a little bit deeper. A little bit kind of more aware.
1: I I always say mindfulness is about understanding the space you take up in society and the space society takes up in you. And that's ultimately what you're trying to teach. So what what you're saying with something mindfulness is there's informal and there's formal. And Formal is obviously your meditation. You sit there, you focus on your breath, your body, your visualization. And then you've informal, which I think is the most powerful form. And informal is like how you communicate with others how you show up in relationships how you show up in work how you have a coffee how you slow down and there's this hilarious kind of misconception of mindfulness that it's it's about slowing you down or making you less ambitious the reality is the most successful people on earth have copped on fairly quickly that the world moves too fast sometimes and you need to find space for yourself where you're not judged where you're not measured where you're not appraised and you know, you look at any of the top athletes; that they've all moved into this idea, and then obviously we're seeing huge, growing bodies of evidence now coming around what happens in the brain when we meditate and why that's important. And when you think of the brain in the modern world, I think we're conditioning our brains to becoming hyper vigilant, so we're we're always on. And hyper vigilance is great sometimes, but what's happening is it's it we feel like we're in that mode all the time, and it's so exhausting, and. That's why it affects your sleep. It can affect you actually resting and relaxing and all these other things. And with meditation, what you're trying to do is come out of that amygdala hijack and come into a space where you can actually just, just simply be with whatever's there, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So it's a different thing that I think a lot of people that people go, I'll only meditate when I feel calm. Mm -hmm. One of the most powerful things you'll learn in mindfulness is to sit with discomfort. And we don't like doing that. Irish people particularly don't like doing that. So sit with the thing that makes you slightly uncomfortable. What's the feel like? Where do you feel it in your body? How does it feel? Can you sit, can you be curious to it? And it's the language you use to guide people. Uh, and obviously you wouldn't bring people into the midst of a trauma. You'll bring them into maybe that person or work that don't get on well with. And then it's psychological intervention and maybe therapy that they might. So often in MBSR, I will refer people. To it, from a pre-assessment, you do a pre-assessment, you'll see whether they're, this is the right thing for them to do. And then in many cases, you go, well, actually, I think you need to speak with the psychologist to figure out some of the other things that are going on for you. Maybe they're grieving. Mm-hmm. There's something that's a bit too raw for them at that point in time. So that's the, that's the kind of importance of, of teaching MBSR, which is what I try to incorporate into Wake Up Wine now. And
0: what do you say to people who can't find the time for it? Because mm. it's something we come across time and time again. I'm too busy, or they feel guilty sometimes, which is a very, very kind of a, a very honest uh, kind of reason. Yeah, they're taking time for themselves. They they just they can't do it for for loads of reasons. What do you say to someone like that? Because I'm sure we we'll have loads of people like that who listen
1: in and think, "Well, I can't. I just I don't have the time, or or whatever. They've reasons to to not do it." Totally respect and understand that. I think it's a priority thing. I think we have this perception, and we were brought up with this perception that the mind is just something that can't change or we cannot find ways of getting to another, another space where we can actually detach from the world or diffuse from our thoughts. The thing is the modern world has conditioned us to be anything but mindful. It doesn't want us mindful, doesn't want us in that space. It wants us consistently, they call it autopilot in mindfulness. They want you on autopilot because you can be manipulated, you can be sold to all the above. And that's why it feels so difficult and foreign to people to try and do it, to sit with silence and just focus on the breath. And I I totally respect that. It's really difficult. But if people say the the definition of mindfulness, and this is the most important thing, is pay attention to the present moment. But the most important part of that is without judgment or non-judgment. That same non-judgment needs to be applied. There's no Olympic Games for meditation. You know, people who beat themselves up if they don't get to the gym. That's not what this is for. It's not another stick to beat yourself with. So it's learning to practice it on your terms. In, you know, there's, there's many different ways to do it and in ways that suit you. It's learning to practice it informally. Start with a coffee, taste the coffee, smell it, feel it going into your chest. Sit with it for 10 breaths and just f- start teaching yourself what it feels like to be present and why that's so powerful. And the, the, uh, the definition I use, especially with like teenagers who, who are like, that definition doesn't mean a lot to them. I say step into a nice cold shower and the minute that water cuts the arse off you, Telling me, are you thinking about yesterday and what you have to do tomorrow? Because you become utterly present. And it's like the sea swimming phenomenon, for want of a better word. It's the old, it's my, it's so mindful because it's so cold. It's so cold. And you're putting your system into, you know, hypervigilance and shock. And I love the sea, I see swimming, I love it. But I do think there's this element of Wim Hof as well, where we're, you know, where we're, Wim Hof started as a thing to help people deal with their mm-hmm. anxieties and their stress and their overwhelms. And now it's like, how long did you hold your breath? Oh, it's hardcore. How long yeah, did you yeah, stay yeah. in the water for? It's like, it's not about, <laughs> there's got to be something we do that isn't about the ego. Yes. And I think, like, I love Wim Hof. I also love the Potato method, which is another form yeah. of breathing. And I think functional breathing is 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 the superpower for people who might be a little wary of meditation. Mm-hmm. Functional breathing, actually, when you look at the evidence, is probably, in in many cases for relaxation, probably more effective. So functional breathing methods are really, really powerful and really strong. And I massively advocate. But as I said, there was a period in my life where the biggest enemy I had was my breath. And every time I thought about it, I would panic. So, you know, that was the kind of weird paradox I had with it. So you have to be careful with how you you use language around certain people who have struggled with their, their breathing.
0: Okay. Folks, you're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. We're chatting all things mindfulness and, you know, putting yourself first, which is, which is so important. Negativity bias. to yeah. me about that a little bit. So we've had, we kind of, we've fairly covered it on the show, but we need to be aware of it in terms of mindfulness, don't we?
1: Yeah. And like, I, like the negativity bias is you know, the, if you look at evolution and how our brains are kind of well, where we evolve from, it's a good thing. It keeps us alive. That's why humans are still here. Our brains are amazing. Our brains are security guards, they're alarm systems, and they're very, very good at their job. That's why you weren't going out shifting strangers and encounters in the pandemic, because there was a thing that you were meant to be afraid of. So the brain is constantly keeping you cautious. And and, and so when our ancestors kind of lived in caves and, you know, Deb- Dublin rental prices didn't require sell vital organs. Every time they left the cave, they ha- they assumed something bad would happen, that there was a spine-crushing, lung-busting python behind the bush every single time, even though pretty much most of the time there wasn't. But that one time there was, they were ready for it, they survived, and human beings then got their genes into the next generation and we evolved. And that's the negativity bias. So I do believe that we have to be very self-aware that we all have that. And it's not because we're bad people. It's because our brain is constantly keeping us cautious and and worried and some people are a little more worried than others like my security guard seems to work a lot and that's how I start to perceive how I view the world and that's self-awareness to me is knowing for example you go for coffee with a mate and you spend 10 minutes giving out about somebody and you f- think you feel good but then you're like what, did I, like, what am I doing like, you know what I mean why am I just adding to the noise of this world and I think that is the stuff that I, I think a lot about you teach that in mindfulness you say the next time you find yourself becoming that stop, be aware you're doing it and diffuse yourself from it. And it's it's in that Viktor Frankl quote that we use all the time in meditation between stimulus and response. There's a space and in that space is your ability to choose and in that choice is your growth. And what that means is every day something happens to us and we could very quickly, blindly react to it and get angry. But sometimes taking a bit of space before you react. We've all sent that email back to our boss and went, Oh my God, what did I just send? Rather than taking twenty minutes and going, right, what am what am I gonna do here? You're getting out of that like that hypervigilant, angry response and you're getting into the neocortex and you're rationally thinking about this and you go, Well, if I send that, I'm gonna lose my job, but it'll feel good. But if I if I send it in another way, maybe I will get the message through. So that's the type of stuff I talk about with it. And one of the examples I use is I was on Harcourt Street a couple of uh, years ago and a guy, I was coming around the corner and a guy, a guy kind of came around his bike and I, I nearly hit him and I beeped and he lost control. He got, I mean, very, very angry. He threw his bike at the side of the road, started screaming at me, told me to take down the window, started hitting the bonnet of my car. And in that moment, I thought to myself, of course, the ego took over. I was like, the, the, you're the, a, you're the a big red guy. Yeah. I'm gonna get out, and then I <laughs> thought something's happened to this guy today. This isn't me that's okay. caused this. And the minute that the, the window opened, I said to him, "I'm really sorry if I scared you." And he just went. He had no, He couldn't do anything with that. He yeah. went. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for losing losing my cool. I'm having a bad day. And mm-hmm. I went. No, no hassles. I, I just didn't. I was I was worried. I was going to hit you. I'm sorry. i scared you. Have a good. And the two of us walked away. <laughs> And we didn't. It was a strange feeling, but mm-hmm. that's what I'm talking about. So there it's was, like
0: killing it with kindness. It would well, well, be, be the phrase. And yeah. Response. Yeah. The
1: stimulus was him. Yeah. Was that moment, and my response by the time he walked up to the car, I decided right. I'm, I, I actually, I could feel my face being hot in my chest, and it was all the physiological response mm-hmm. that we all have. But I, I also had a part of me was like, if 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 this goes, if this goes south, both of us are in trouble. <laughs> and maybe he did have a bad day, mm-hmm. and maybe I should self-aware and and that's what i'm talking about 10 15 years ago i wouldn't have done that i would be in mount joy i'd say that's the reality and this is what happens with the red mist mindfulness can teach us how to to control those habitual responses that we sometimes have but you need to practice it it's like anything it's a skill it's a skill exactly Yeah.
0: yeah grounding yourself
1: yeah i i think the most powerful learning I've had from mindfulness is the somatic. So the idea, I always say this to people, if your mind's running riot and it's gone, like, and it's thinking 25 different things, and you're like, oh God, like it just feels like it's, it's losing. It happens to me at night when I wake up sometimes, but it goes from one thought into another and it's just, it's chaotic. Don't use your mind to calm down your mind. Once your mind starts to run riot. It's not going to be the the right place, so your body will be. That's why I say to people, get into your body. And we we know all through the through, through kind of the vagus nerve activation what happens when we when we get into the body. What's that look like? That's why grounding is used. You feel your feet in the floor, but what you're actually doing is you're getting out of your head, and you're getting into this body. And in that space, you're slowing down this 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 response in the brain. You're physiologically slowing yourself down. So one of the techniques I use that's really really useful for adults, for children is I use it when I wake up at night. If I wake up and I start to think of the 30 things I haven't done or have to do and I could feel my mind is, is, is really busy and dynamic and overwhelms me. And then my adrenaline goes and I get anxious and cortisol levels get higher. What I do is I start to, I do that with my fingers and I, I acknowledge that my mind's busy and that's my busy mind really fast. And then I start to slow the circles down. And I just breathe and I think of the contact between my two fingers. And what you're doing is acknowledging the busy mind and you're getting out of the mind and you're just all you're focusing on is the contact between the fingers and the breath. And you're getting out and into the body and that's another form of grounding. And it can can also happen if you're in a meeting and you feel like this isn't going well and I'm getting anxious and I'm getting panicky here and I'm not thinking straight. Literally feel every part of your feet on the floor and put them into the floor and and, and just just focus on nothing, only the contact between your feet and the floor. And it's these types of things, the somatic way of dealing with. And you learn that in things like body scans, progressive muscular relaxation techniques. A lot of mindfulness and meditation is using the body, not the breath getting to reconnect the body and the mind. And I think that's these are all techniques you can use. And functional breathing is obviously another one. The physiological sigh breathing technique that Andrew Huberman talks about, two inhales and a long exhale. So, and calm the body. And learn and practice this stuff. Like, the, as I said, understanding the physiology of stress and anxiety and how the mind and the brain and the mind, are, they're just working with each other and uh, you got you got to build that relationship and you know right now we have you know watches to tell us how fit we are and we have phones to tell us how much sleep we're getting and we're disconnecting from our mind body experience your mind and your body know your body knows more about you than anyone else it's been with you from day one so start start listening to it and i think that is what we're trying to teach in, in meditation Chatting about taking the podcast
0: live, obviously, we have a podcast. We're fascinated by people who do it. The Olympia, big stage, big
1: venue. A venue I've played many times. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> so it's a different kettle of fish. I think with podcasting, live podcasting, the game has been massively upped. Mm-hmm. I think that's the terrifying part of it. Like, there was a time when you just, you got up and you chatted for an hour and a half and that was it, and you went home. You can't do that anymore. You have, you have these amazing live podcasts, like the two Johnnies, and you have the... You know, uh, my, gar- my my therapist ghosts me types of things. These are shows now. Mm-hmm. They're big shows and you have to kind of deliver, but you also have to maintain the essence of what the podcast is about. Yeah. So, yeah, I've thought a lot about it. And a lot of my life is, is, is also writing and performing music. And it's a huge part of my journey. So I built that into it as well. I'm playing piano for the first time live. I'm, my first instrument's piano. So okay. I've composed these kind of soundscape um, music therapy pieces that I want to play. With my story, but then probably more importantly, Adam Clayton, who I have had on the podcast before, and it just felt like we hadn't finished that conversation. And Adam is immensely generous with his, with his conversations. Like he, he's a, one of, he's got an incredible energy. Like he's the bass player in the engine room in the biggest rock band in the world, but he's, he's also got this real deep humanity to him that comes out every time you meet him and speak to him. So I I kind of asked and I was like he's going to say no but sure, I'll ask him anyway and uh, right enough got an uh, email back going love to do it and yeah I'm, I'm I'm can't wait to get him on stage like and a lot lot of two fans have reached out with questions from mm-hmm. because he doesn't do this a lot either you know and remind us again of the date Friday twenty eighth of April in the Three Olympia Theater so yeah it's 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 a good night out and as I said the show itself will be it'll be quite irreverent a lot of fun like I do kind of laugh at the state of my mind a little bit like it is <laughs> the mind is a little it's it is it's chaotic it's hilarious and it's it's amazing and it's it's brutal sometimes and i think we we we. i enjoy discussing it in a kind of entertaining way but um yeah it's it's i'm looking forward to it i am nervous about it yeah my first life i canceled two live tours full tours because of pandemic so every time i announced a tour there amazing. was another lockdown so it was my fault <laughs> So, I am pretty sure we're good in this one.
0: Amazing. Well, listen, the very best of luck with it. Thank you for coming in today, giving us all your tips and tools, and the very best of luck with the, with the gig. My no, present, much appreciated. That's it for another episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, as every know we are at Carl Henry PT on Instagram, realhealth at independent.ie. We'll see you next week for more Real Health. Long a fall. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Pride sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.